All right, I want to welcome you to Prophecy Night tonight. And uh, we're going to be talking about how evil people do evil things. That's what we left off with last time. Um, and uh, so we want to start with uh, a little uh, meme like I've been doing recently. I came across this earlier today. I thought you'd get a kick out of it. You know, this is Pride Month. I'm sure that really is very meaningful to all of you. Uh, but if you're like me, you're kind of sick of it. And so are these people. I thought this was cute. I'm ready for Humility Month. Yeah, me too. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Because it's in your face everywhere you turn. It reminds me of this passage of Scripture from Proverbs chapter 30. This is not prophetic, at least not in a technical sense, but I do think we're living in this generation. It says, There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There's a generation that is pure in its own eyes and yet is not washed from all its filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. There is a generation whose teeth are like swords and whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. And I think that's a good description of uh, of the world in which we live today. And I want to take some time as we start tonight to look at a few passages of Scripture that talk about just how uh, prevalent uh, wickedness really is. And, you know, we, we often live a sheltered life. I think that's becoming harder and harder anymore because it's just everywhere you turn, there's just so much filth and garbage and satanic influence out there. But even still, uh, I run into people all the time that have trouble accepting some of the things that, that, that I've presented in my Spirit of the Antichrist books or elsewhere because, you know, you know, we're generally, if you know the Lord and you follow His Word, we generally have a moral compass, and it's hard for us to imagine that there are people out there that just are completely unrestrained in their evil. And so even we can be sheltered sometimes. But I want to lay the foundation biblically, and then we'll get into some examples. And then I want to allow plenty of time for questions because uh, we're way behind on emails. Not only did we get flooded twice last week, we got flooded Monday, which I mentioned last Tuesday, got all the carpet ripped out, kind of some of the stuff moved around and out of the water, and then we got deluged again Thursday, and it was just horrible. So we've been dealing with that all weekend. That's why I wasn't here Sunday. And then yesterday we had contractors out, excavators out trying to you help solve the problem and figure out, you know, like our, our main perimeter drain was uh, covered over through the years. We don't even know where it is, so we were looking for that. Well, they cut the, the uh, fiber optic cable. So we were without Internet for 24 hours, and that's no fun, especially uh, running the ministry like we have, because where we live, we don't get cell coverage, so we're like hamstrung. We could use a landline, and that's about it. So I could call, you know, my grandmother, and that's about all I could do. But anyway... Uh, so, uh, so, but we finally got that fixed today about 1 o'clock, but it was just a nightmare. We had to go to town to upload. Yes, fortunately, it, it didn't happen until after I finished the podcast yesterday. If you haven't listened to that, I'll say more about that at the end tonight. But anyway, it's just a season of attack. You know, that's all it is. And I refuse to cower in the face of Satan's attacks. And, um, but uh, uh, we found uh, one news item that showed that for a six-week span, I think it was roughly May 2nd to June 17th, in the Front Range region. It's been the second wettest six-week period since like 1886. <laughs> I mean, I know we got last week for, on one day, we got four inches of rain in three hours. So 
it's just, you know, more than the, the ground can uh, handle. And like someone said beforehand tonight, it's especially troubling when you know they're causing it. <laughs> you know, it's a little easier to handle things if you know it comes from God directly. Um, although, you know, it all comes from God, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We, we know that God's in control. Not, nothing can contravene God's sovereignty. Not, nothing can keep, you know, can, can overstep God, what God allows. And so it's a season. And, uh, but anyway... Uh, I, you know, way behind on emails, and so I want to allow plenty of time. I've got like 14 or 15 questions that I took off of email that I'm going to answer. That way, Brooke can just respond to those emails and say, see this, you know, Prophecy Night video, and then they can see their questions answered. Um, but before we get up to all that, let's uh, look at Proverbs chapter 1. And if you have your Bible, you can follow along with me. Um, but listen to what the book of Proverbs talks about. You know, throughout Proverbs, we see a contrast between the wise and the foolish, between the righteous and the wicked, or evil. <clears throat> and I think it's interesting that it starts out in the very first uh, chapter, which I believe was written by Solomon. We don't know for sure that the first nine chapters came from Solomon, but starting in verse in chapter 10, through with a few uh, exceptions, the rest of the book is, uh, is Solomon's. But I think this is Solomon's too, and, and many scholars agree. But he says in verse 10, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, Come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us look secretly for the innocent without cause. Just like what we read in Proverbs uh, 30 a moment ago. Uh, let us swallow them alive like Sheol, the Hebrew word for grave, and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. But they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. And as we're going to see, that is the eventuality of all of the wicked. And we're going to look at some pretty wicked uh, people tonight and examples tonight. Um, but uh, I'm going to remind you here as we go through some of these verses that God wins in the end. And ultimately, they're really cutting their own throats, literally. Uh, Proverbs 4 says, Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they do not sleep unless they have done evil. And that's the mindset of these Luciferians. And as we're going to be talking about tonight, not just the in-the-know Luciferians, the ones that are top tier, that are kind of collaborating and taking their marching orders directly from Satan himself, but the lower down in the conspiracy you go, uh, the, the more you get to the people that are just evil for evil's sake. They are lustful or power-hungry or greedy or they just have other uh, depraved uh, motivations. They're not necessarily puppets that are directly being controlled by Satan. I mean, ultimately, all evil is under the, the broad umbrella of Satan, uh, but there are those that are working directly at his behest and others that are just manifestations of that evil, and that's what we're going to talk about uh, tonight. But this is that what they live for. Uh, their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. Uh, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. A worthless person, a wicked man, 
walks with a perverse mouth. We're going to talk about perversity tonight. He winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. And that ultimately will find fulfillment when Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation to establish the long-awaited kingdom uh, and destroys the, the Antichrist and the false prophet. Uh, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. Remember, deception is really their MO. It's, it's, it's evil, but it's, it's evil that's undergirded by deception and lies. But counselors of peace have joy. No grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked shall be filled with evil. The soul of the wicked desires evil. Soul there in Hebrew is nephesh. It just means their life, their very being, everything about them desires evil. His neighbor, his neighbor finds no favor in his eyes. They have no kindness, no compassion. They're not here to help. They're only in it for themselves and whatever their depraved uh, propensities are. Proverbs 24, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the wicked, for there will be no prospect for the evil man, and the lamp of the wicked will be put out. So again, Proverbs, in the broadest sense, is reminding us that there's an end to all this. And if you understand Bible prophecy and you understand God's plan of the ages, you know that's what happens in the end with the great white throne judgment. And one day the evil will bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. Uh, and that's true. Remember, Paul said, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the very Jesus that they hate, that Satan hates, that he is uh, doing everything he can to destroy, uh, someday they'll bow before him and acknowledge that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So it's a futile effort. So we're into our ninth sort of subcategory of this series. It's our 20th session on uh, why Bible prophecy matters now more than ever. And we want to look tonight at how the stage is being set satanically. So, as I mentioned, you know, the Bible says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. There's ultimately only two camps, right? God, the creator of the universe, who is holy and just and righteous and perfect. And Satan, who is everything that God is not, just the opposite. Um, and so that's why uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2 that... For unbelievers, if you don't know the Lord, until you come to know the Lord by faith, by trusting in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again for your sins, then you're in the wrong camp. Uh, you're, uh, you know, you're walking according to the course of the world. Remember, the, the whole world is under Satan's sway. And if you're an unbeliever, uh, that's whose team you're on. Uh, and he is the prince of the power of the air. He's the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You're either a child of God or a child of Satan, a child of God or a child of wrath. Uh, you go to John chapter 12. In the context here, uh, Jesus has just said, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice comes from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again, talking about at the resurrection. And Jesus answered and said, The voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. In other words, Jesus didn't need this affirmation. He is, in fact, God in the flesh. Jesus said in John uh, uh, 10, I and my Father are one. So this wasn't for his purpose. It was for those that he was speaking to. And Jesus goes on to say, Now is the judgment of this world. When he, uh, you know, the, the whole rest of John is really the... Uh, 
passion narrative, the passion week when he makes his way to the cross and is crucified, buried, and then rises again on the third day. And that's what he means by now, not in this moment of this conversation, but at this time in, in God's plan. Um, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And then Jesus goes on to say, and you may be familiar with this famous statement, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And so Jesus was resurrected on the third day, and since then we are lifting him up through the gospel, uh, proclaiming the gospel. Jesus goes on to say, remember, right after this in chapter 12, Jesus enters the upper room, and chapters 13 to 17 recount his final words on that Thursday night, the very night that he was betrayed and made his way up the Via Dolorosa to Calvary. And in the uh, uh, upper room discourse, which uh, uh, Gary's just been leading a study on on Wednesday nights, uh, Jesus says this, when he, that's the Holy Spirit, has come, now what does he mean by that? He's not saying that the Holy Spirit, you know, is not here. The Holy Spirit is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. God is everywhere present at all times. God eternally exists in one person, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So, you know, he can't, there's never a place where the Holy Spirit can't be. But what Jesus is talking here is about the promise of the Holy Spirit and his new ministry. That as Jesus said, when he goes away, the Holy Spirit's going to come and take on a new role. In the same sense that Jesus is eternal... But 2,000 years ago, he left the realm of eternity, put on human flesh, was born of a virgin, and, and, and ministered you know, uh, during his earthly life. The Holy Spirit was going to take on a new role, is what he was saying. We're living in this day and age today. So that's what he means by when he has come. But when he has come, he, the Holy Spirit, will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. That Ultimately, that's the sin that sends anyone to hell, is unbelief. Uh, I talk about that in my book, Top Ten Reasons Some People Go to Hell. Ultimately, it's unbelief. But what is it that keeps people from believing? All you got to do to be saved is believe. It's, it's a free gift. You receive it by faith. The belief is the means of receiving the gift. But why don't people believe it? What keeps them from believing it? But so he says that he, he's going to convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. In other words, while Jesus was on the earth, he was the embodiment of righteousness. He was the righteous one right there in living color, right? Now he's gone, so the Holy Spirit convicts us of what is righteous. And then he says, uh, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. See, the Holy Spirit's the one who's convicting people that the risen Lord, by the time the Holy Spirit takes on this new role on the day of Pentecost, which would be from the moment of Christ's crucifixion, which happened within you know, just a few hours of him saying these things. He was betrayed in the garden Thursday. By early Friday morning, he had died and was laid in the tomb. And from that point until the Holy Spirit comes is 50 days. Remember, Jesus resurrected 53 days to be exact, because he resurrected on the third day. For 40 days, he appears to people, thousands of eyewitnesses. Then he ascends, and then 10 days later, you have the day of Pentecost, uh, and that's when the Holy Spirit comes in a mighty, powerful way and begins his new ministry. So by the time this ministry that he's, Jesus is predicting here comes of the Holy Spirit, uh, the ruler of this world will be judged. He was judged when Christ rose from the dead. At that moment, it was game over. 
Now, God, who is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance, is long-suffering. And we are now 2,000 years into this present church age, and uh, Christ is being lifted up and drawing people to Him, and people are being given the opportunity to come to faith. But at some point, the present age is going to end at the rapture. God's program shifts into the final end times uh, age. Remember, the, the church is a mystery. It was a mystery of you know, that began on the day of Pentecost, previously unknown, unrevealed, unannounced, and never mentioned in the Old Testament. It came out of nowhere and began. It wasn't out of nowhere from God's perspective, but in terms of the revealed Word of God, it had not been revealed. And then the, it ends with the mystery of the rapture. Remember, the rapture is all about the church. That's the reason you can't have the rapture going into Daniel's 70th week, because Daniel's 70th week is all about Israel. So after the rapture, God's end time plan shifts into uh, the refocus on Israel and leads up to just the final, ultimate uh, judgment of Satan at the great white throne. In this same context, Jesus in chapter 17 goes on to, to, to pray to God the Father in this famous high priestly prayer. And what does he say? I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Because we were entering at that time in human history a new phase where the whole world, as I said, as the Bible said, is under the sway of the wicked one. And this cosmic battle has been intensifying. It spilled over from the heavens into the earth. And in this present age, it's getting worse and worse and worse. That's what Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.13. Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So it really is an evil age. And it's an age where Satan is just, you know, pulling out all the stops at this point. Uh, it's, it's always been evil. Uh, sin has been around ever since Adam and Eve fell. Uh, we read the Old Testament and we see all kinds of incredible debauchery and pagan worship, child sacrifice, all of those kinds of things. But it truly is reaching new heights today. We know that because the Bible says that. In the, in the end times, in the, latter, in the latter days, actually not the end times, but the latter days, people will give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. It will be an unprecedented time. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And then he goes on to say in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. So this is a biblical prophecy, a prediction, if you will, that toward the end of this age, we're going to see that. But not only is it biblical, just look around. You know, I understand that you know, every generation goes, oh, woe is me. This, this is so much worse than you know, the previous generation. Uh, you know, I get that. But by all empirical objective standards, things are unquestionably worse today. I mean, previous generations didn't have, you know, people parading around naked doing offensive and just horrific acts, sex acts, right in front of children on the parade route. I mean, they didn't have that. We don't, we don't have, you know, public school teachers two generations ago that were talking to third graders about whether they want to be a boy or a girl. 
We don't have states taking children. We never had states taking children away from their parents because some eight-year-old says, I want to be a girl who's a boy, and the parents say, oh, I don't think so. And the state says, no, you don't have any say in this. We're going to take them out of your home. We're going to slice and dice them in the surgical room and turn them into whatever this eight-year-old wants, and you don't have any say about it. And that's what's happening in California. So it is worse today. It's biblical and it's anecdotal, no question about it. So uh, we're going to talk about uh, evil people and evil activity. Not all evil is the direct result of evil spirits manifesting themselves on earth, like shape-shifting and all the kinds of stuff that we've talked about in uh, previous weeks. As I said, ultimately all evil activity is part of the satanic influence on the world. But what I'm saying is there is a limited number of demons. Not all evil activity is directly demonic. A person might rob a bank or commit murder or commit assault or lie or cheat or steal or whatever uh, just because of the depravity of man. Uh, and sometimes evil spirits are involved in influencing evil people who have no idea. Evil spirits are influencers and they can lead already bad people to do bad things. And by the way, believers, as I talked about on the podcast yesterday, I hope you'll uh, watch that one. It was called Powers, Signs, and Lying Wonders with author Lucas Doremus. Uh, really, really insightful uh, discussion. We're going to have him back on. But, uh, you know, even believers can be influenced by evil spirits. They cannot be indwelt or possessed by demons because the Holy Spirit's already there. Uh, there's not room for both. But they can certainly be influenced and um, you know, we, we know that uh, theologically. But I want to go to a passage that I talked about yesterday with Lucas uh, from Second Chronicles 18. It's, it's basically the same story that's uh, uh, talked about in 1 Kings 22, the parallel passages there. But it's about King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Remember, Israel's the northern kingdom, Judah's the southern kingdom. We're talking about 860 B.C. or so, 9th century B.C. And Ahab goes to Jehoshaphat and says, Will you go with me against Ramoth-Gilead, one of their enemies? And he answered and said, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will be with you in war. But then Jehoshaphat added, remember Ahab was not a good king, Jehoshaphat was a good king. He said to the king of Israel, he said to Ahab, But please inquire for the word of the Lord today. In other words, Jehoshaphat wanted to make sure that this battle was of the Lord. But Ahab wanted nothing to do with what God wanted because Ahab knew that God's prophet at that time, Micaiah, always said bad things about Ahab. Like every time Ahab went to get a word from the Lord, it was always bad news for Ahab. So he said, I don't want to talk to the prophet anymore. We're just going to do it. Um, so then Ahab, the king of Israel, gathered the prophets together. These are his yes men, 400 men. And he says to them, all right, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And so they said, go up, for God will deliver you into the king's hand. They told these 400 prophets told him exactly uh, what he wanted, but he hadn't consulted Micaiah yet. But again, Jehoshaphat said, well, is there not still one more prophet of the Lord here that, that maybe we should talk to him? <laughs> and the king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, well, there is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. <laughs> Because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat said, well, let not the king say such things. Don't, you know, don't talk like that. 
Well, all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramath-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. Then the messenger who had gone up to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen. So here's this guy trying to squeeze Micaiah a little bit. Now listen. The words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. In other words, surely, Micaiah, you're not going to go against these other 400 prophets. You, know, you should know. Before you answer, you should know these all 400 people say this is the way to go. So therefore, please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. And then Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. And then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall I go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And he said, Go and prosper, and they shall be delivered into your hand. He was intentionally lying. We're going to get to that in a second. Intentionally misleading Ahab. But Ahab saw right through it. Uh, the king says to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you're telling me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And so then Micaiah comes clean and says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. In other words, don't do it. Don't go to war. And the king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? In other words, didn't I tell you he wasn't going to tell me you know, what I wanted to hear? Then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing on his right hand and his left. So here's God in the heavenly scene with heavenly hosts, you know, these, uh, these uh, spirit beings all gathered around. And the Lord, remember all caps, L-O-R-D means Yahweh, the one true God, said, Who will persuade Ahab, the king of Israel, to go up that he may fall? So God is soliciting for his purposes an evil spirit that's going to go and convince uh, Ahab to go forward with this failed plot. So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. And then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? And so he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. See, ultimately, God delivered Jehoshaphat, even though he went along with this uh, plan uh, in the heat of battle. But he put Ahab to death in the very next chapter. Uh, I love what G. Campbell Morgan said here. I was going to create a slide, but I didn't have internet this afternoon until after I'd already finished this and I didn't have time to go back and do it. So I'll just quote it. But G. Campbell Morgan, great uh, dispensational Dallas guy uh, from you know late, well, really the first half of the 20th century. He said, it just happened, says the man of the world. God did it, says the man of faith. And I think that's really the message here, is that God is ultimately in control. Uh, he's in control over these evil spirits. Uh, sometimes God allows lying spirits to, you know, lead astray his uh, these evil people on earth. 
But the, the, the big picture here is that God has more control over Satan's minions than even Satan has. I mean, how about that? That'll blow your mind. Think about that for a second. God has more control over Satan's minions than even Satan has. There are lying spirits that impact evil people and lead them to do evil things. So let's look at some examples um, tonight. And I can think of no better place to start than uh, Jeffrey Epstein. You know, the list of politicians and businessmen who have frequented Epstein Island is shocking. Uh, and, of course, it's a subject completely ignored by the mainstream media and most Christians. The media says nothing to see here, move along. It's all a big conspiracy theory. Uh, by the way, I think I've told you this before, but if you were surprised that Jeffrey Epstein killed himself, imagine how surprised he was. But, uh, but let me tell you the real, what I believe is the real story about you know Epstein Island and Jeffrey Epstein. And this is... I don't have any secret inside scoop. I don't have any smoking gun evidence that I can point to. But based on years of studying these people, years of studying the Luciferian conspiracy, this is what I'm pretty sure happened. Jeffrey Epstein was at the tip of the spear of running a global, not just the United States, but global child sex ring that included kings, prime ministers, uh, presidents of the United States, businessmen, key people of wealth and power in the corporate world all across the globe. Not all of them, of course, but people from every category. And uh, he had the goods on all of them, of course, and they had the goods on him. But when the WikiLeaks uh, uh, disclosure happened and John Podesta's emails uh, came out, uh, the Pizzagate, as it was called, uh, it sort of you know, these, these Luciferians and all the evil things that they're doing, they're not perfect by any stretch. And they make mistakes and things happen and things leak out. And so someone has to be the scapegoat when that happens. It's just, you know, as bad as our justice system is, there are still just enough people that actually do have a sense of justice that, you know, they had to make somebody pay. So I believe Epstein became the fall guy. Uh, I can't prove it, but I wouldn't be a bit surprised if he's not really dead. Uh, I think he had long ago put in place safeguards to make sure that if he died, nations would fall. I mean, empires would fall. That's what would happen. They, that's the way this game is played. Uh, and it's been played that way throughout history. Remember, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. So I really find it hard to believe that he died. I mean, even most conspiracy theorists, which is just people theorizing about how two or more people worked together to commit a crime. That's what a conspiracy theorist is. Uh, even most conspiracy theorists uh, have concluded that he was murdered to keep him quiet. Um, that's too simple. I, I think that's a simplified understanding of the way this system works, and which is far more complex than that. I think he would have had multiple safeguards in place that if he breathed his last, it would trigger a series of events that would bring down empires. And so I think it was all staged. Can I prove that? No. Could I be wrong? Absolutely. I don't have, you know, perfect view of all this. But one thing that we do know, without question, is that the kind of stuff that was going on in this secret, you know, trafficking ring was satanic in its nature. It involved, you know, satanic rituals. It involved satanic dinners. Um, yeah, if you watch the documentary Out of Shadows, which you can go to outofshadows.org to watch it, it's not for the faint of heart. And, I mean, you know, you got to have a pretty good constitution to, to, to watch the stuff that they talk about in there. Uh, but there's one reporter who 
uh, really led the way in exposing the fact that a lot of the code language that came out of the emails, John Podesta's emails and others, uh, are commonly known in the criminal justice world to be code language for child sex trafficking rings. And they, she even showed that, you know, in different jurisdictions and states where they've arrested people, that they've presented those in court as evidence against the, you know, uh, defendant. And, of course, the media says, no, 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 that's just, you know, pizza means pizza, and this means this, and there was nothing secret about it. Well, if that's the case, then why was it admitted as evidence many, many times over in other cases? Because it's code language, and it's their language, and it's, uh, it's pretty uh, sick. So Hollywood... Uh, really is ground zero for the Luciferians. I've mentioned this before, but when it comes to satanic ritual abuse, human trafficking, blood sacrifices, uh, you know, Hollywood is, is a key. That's why they call it Hollywood. It was founded in the middle of the 19th century. Holly trees are what witches use the branches from holly trees to, you know, use to cast their spells and stir their brew. Uh, and so uh, there's, it's no accident that it's called Hollywood. It really is uh, a, a seat of Luciferianism. Uh, the symbolism that we see, Lucas and I talked about this a little bit yesterday on the podcast, uh, is, is, is a reflection of the reality that's, that's going on behind the scenes. Let me give you a few notable examples from Hollywood and the entertainment industry to make this point. Let's talk about Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga has admitted that Satan speaks to her through her dreams, and she uses her evil spirit guide to create her songs. She uses satanic imagery throughout her videos and live shows, and she admits that she can't sleep alone while on tour because of the demonic dreams that she has throughout the night that freak her out. She's been known to bathe in blood as a part of a bloody satanic ritual. One noteworthy example comes out of uh, the Intercontinental Hotel in London, well-attested, well-documented. One of the hotel maids uh, found when they went in to clean her room after she left that the bathtub was filled with blood. Um, they reported it to the concierge, but the concierge, fully controlled by the handlers, told the maid to put it out of her mind and not say anything, but she did. Uh, what about uh, Rihanna? This is uh, from, from the 2023 Super Bowl halftime performance. She's dressed in red. She falls from the sky, surrounded by people dressed in white, like, I don't know, angels. Sounds a lot like the fall of Lucifer, as described in Scripture, when he took one-third of the angels with him. And uh, she is the, most, the number one most streamed artist globally, or at least she was back when I researched this in February. Uh, first presented this particular information that we're talking about right now in Orlando in February. Number one most streamed artist globally, 118.7 million viewers, which is 5 million more than the Super Bowl, which everybody knows the Super Bowl is one of the most watched events every year. 5 million more than the Super Bowl. 17 of her songs are in the top 40 on Spotify. 17. This is Rihanna. Well, let's learn a little bit more about Rihanna. She now has a street named after her in Barbados in her hometown. In 2017, she was honored by the Barbados government, who renamed the street she grew up on as a child after her, and speaking at the official ceremony to unveil the newly named Rihanna Drive in Bridgetown, Barbados, she took the opportunity to hand out advice uh, to young people. 
Uh, she addresses the children that were there that just idolize her as one of their favorite singers, you know. And here's what she said. Quote, how many of y'all have prayed to Jesus for years, prayed with all your hearts, and got nothing back from him? Hands up, be honest, it's okay. Well, let me tell you, Jesus doesn't care about you. Do you really think he's even listening? Hot tip, y'all, because you are my people. Be efficient. Go to Satan, she said. At that time, the prime minister hastily changed the topic, took over the platform. Shocked parents were intervening, grabbing their children and removing them. But this is what she said. Jesus doesn't care about you. Hot tip. Be efficient. Go directly to Satan. How about Lady Gaga's 2017 Super Bowl performance, which was a transparent satanic ritual? Here's Nicki Minaj. Uh, you know, she entered the Staples Center. This is at the Grammy Awards in 2012 with a man dressed as a bishop on her arm. And then the main performance at the Grammys of Roman Holiday began, and she was found chained to a wooden board as a hooded priestess prances around her. Smoke billows, fires burn, and eventually she began levitating over the stage without breaking her flow. You don't think levitation can happen? You're naive. Satan's power, we talked about this yesterday on the podcast. You know, go back to Pharaoh. Everything that God did, the Pharaoh's of, uh, magicians did. Um, you know, um, they threw their rods down. They turned into snakes. Yeah, absolutely. You can do this. In fact, some of the stuff we talked about a few weeks ago where we gave manifestations from the New Testament. Remember we went to all the passages that talk about demon possession and we came up with a kind of a comprehensive list of the characterizations, at least from the New Testament, of demon possession. One of those is an ability to control your body and it just levitates. Um, she's, you know, Nicki Minaj is among the many mega pop stars today who promote the idea of having alter egos, second personalities, and they, quote, lose control of themselves when the alter ego takes over. Even Adele, uh, in her 2011 music video, Rolling in the Deep, stars a demonic entity. You can see it on the right of the screen there. Uh, what about Adam Levine? You know, Adam Levine, he's great, right? So sweet, so funny. We love him on The Voice, don't we? Well, I wonder if you've seen Adam Levine bathing in animal blood in his music video for the song Animals. See, this is, this is what Hollywood is all about. I've mentioned before that Stanley Kubrick's last film, Eyes Wide Shut, starring Tom Cruise and Nikki, uh, Nicole Kidman, is an in-plain-sight tale of Hollywood, the Hollywood underworld of satanic ritual abuse. Uh, the film's production took 400 days, which is still a record in Hollywood for the longest continuous film shoot. Um, but it, it, you know, it, it, was, it was basically a telegraphing of what really goes on behind the scenes. I haven't been able to find it, but I remember watching a video interview of Nicole Kidman. I'm pretty sure it was on Oprah, but I can't find it, and I can't say for sure, so I could be wrong about the, the program. But whatever interview it was, I remember her saying that the stuff that they were doing in this movie, which don't see it, it's, it's really not a movie you want to see, but she said she could really get into the role because... When she was a child, her parents had her engage in that kind of stuff. She said that. So uh, Hollywood is so steeped in satanic ritual abuse and blood sacrifices, they may as well give Satan his own star on, Hollywood, on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. 
There's no shortage of verifiable evidence of the Luciferian bloodlust for those who have the time and the stomach to research it. Uh, in my Spirit of the Antichrist series, I talk about the Franklin cover-up. I have a whole section of this in Chapter 13 of, of Volume 2. Uh, I won't take the time to go into all the details. You can read about it, but there's two books that recount the story. The first one was the Franklin cover-up by a guy that was very heavily involved. He was a Republican a politician and lawyer from the state of Nebraska who served in the state legislature of Nebraska from 71 to 87. And during an investigation of a savings and loan called the Franklin Savings and Loan in Lincoln, they actually, which is the way these things happen, kind of like the Podesta emails with WikiLeaks, you know, just sort of you're stumbling upon something and you uncover something much bigger. Well, they uncovered, a, again, a global child sex trafficking ring that involved CPS agencies uh, from uh, around the, the country. They involved uh, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, and I think it's the main uh, airport. In a recent interview uh, that hasn't aired yet that's for another show that's going to air in July, I think I said Mesa, and somebody emailed me and said I misspoke, but I'm pretty sure it's the whatever that little airstrip outside of Little Rock is. I think it's the Mena. Uh, but anyway, that's where they would bring these kids and in cahoots with the CPS. Uh, but anyway, uh, just a horrifying tale, uh, and uh, you know the the kids that were involved. You just you just weep when you think about uh, these you know hundreds upon hundreds of kids, and you know it you know it went to the courts, and there were people that were arrested. But at the end of the day, key witnesses were killed or died by accident in plane crashes or car crashes. This is what they like to do, and, and when the when the kids testified, some of them. By then, they were so broken, you know, that's what happens mentally. You just, you break down when you face a repeated sexual assault like that, uh, that the court uh, was able, they were able to convince the court that these kids were crazy, so you can't believe them. Well, of course they're crazy. Look what happened to them, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so anyway, from the back cover of Nick Bryant's book about the same story, he says, are politicians, businessmen, and media personalities being compromised? Is there a covert check and balance system affecting our body politic? How and why does a nationwide child abuse network stay hidden? And this, by the way, was from, you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, there was a Discovery uh, Channel uh, documentary called Conspiracy of Silence that was scheduled to air Tuesday, May 3rd, 1994. It was, in fact, listed nationwide in the April 30th to May 6th edition of TV Guide magazine. Everybody remember that magazine, TV Guide? But influential members of Congress applied pressure and kept it from airing. And uh, Discovery Channel was reimbursed roughly half a million dollars for production costs. Um, they tried to destroy all the copies of it, but there's still one grainy uh, studio copy, pre-final -produc pre production copy that you can find out there, but it's just it's just sickening. I mean, this is all part of that same network. And there's one particular scene that I remember that's just sickening showing, I think this was in Las Vegas. Uh, again, they would steal these kids with the help of CPS, and then they would auction them off. And they show kids in their underwear holding up signs with how much they are. And then these sickos in the audience, you know, bidding on them. Sick. A Washington Times, June 29th, 1989, for one day, until they recanted it the next day, had the courage to 
expose a you know uh, prostitution ring that was getting into the White House, you know, call boys that were being called into the White House during the Reagan and Bush era. Um, all kinds of evidence, um, but again, the powers that be, are they're not about to, to let this get out. The judges are controlled, the grand juries are controlled, the powers that be are controlled, and so it was, you didn't hear much about it, but you can still find that article if you go look for it. Um, another more recent uh, award-winning documentary from 2020 is Josh Peck's Silent Cry, The Darker Side of Trafficking, and ex exposes the organized satanic aspect of using kids in these demonic rituals. Bohemian Grove is uh, something that I have a section on in the Secret Society chapter of Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2. Um, and this is, uh, you know, started in uh, uh, Muir Woods outside San Francisco. That was the original founding place. We've been there. There's a historical marker. We took a picture of it. But then it moved to private land up north of there into the Redwoods. Uh, this is the gate, uh, and you can see uh, the symbol here with their sort of their uh, motto, weaving spiders come not here, which is taken from a Shakespeare play. But um, originally what, what they're trying to communicate with this, uh, with this motto is that, hey, this is just a place every June for two weeks where a who's who of, again, presidents, prime ministers, kings, businessmen, uh, media personalities like Walter Cronkite and others, they gather. It's a come and go kind of thing. Uh, typically, they wouldn't stay the whole two weeks, but you stay. You have meetings with people. This is where you know you just they have fun. And and the idea behind the motto was, um, you know, we want to make sure you know that this isn't where you come to discuss business. This is all just for fun. But as with most things in the Luciferian world, it was the complete opposite. It was precisely intended to come and discuss business. This is where wars are started, presidents are chosen. Uh, Carter, for example, was picked at Bohemian Grove. Um, and they have all kinds of just evil stuff that goes on. But the, the reason I bring this up is at the beginning of the two-week period, they have a mock ceremony that they call the cremation of care. The cremation of care. The idea here is uh, we want you to begin this two-week time by cremating or getting rid of your conscience. That's what they mean by cremation of care. Set your conscience aside, and whatever you see, whatever you do, whatever you're told to do, whatever decide, is decided upon for the next two weeks, when you leave here, you do it, even if your conscience tells you not to. So you have to cremate your, your conscience. But in this uh, ceremony, they literally have, uh, you know, people dressed in druid wear, and there's this massive uh, statue of an owl that is burned, and they bring in what they say is an effigy of a child lying on a stretcher that they burn and sacrifice to this owl god. Now, there have been two times that we know of that have been reported that reporters have managed to sneak in. One of them snuck in on a bus of male prostitutes that were being bussed in. He posed as a male prostitute. And this was years ago, and he was able to get very grainy footage from a secret camera way off in the distance, not close enough to see if it's an actual effigy or a real child. Let's hope to God it wasn't a real child. But everything else we know about what they're doing, it wouldn't surprise me if it was. But either way, how much peace of mind does it give you that they're only pretending to sacrifice a child to an al-god? And, I mean, this is uh, goes back, you know, 
decades. We have all kinds of evidence. Here's, here's a picture from the Grove with Nixon and Reagan in attendance. Uh, the, the, the Netflix show House of Cards starring Kevin Spacey and Robin Wright actually has a whole storyline where President Frank Underwood, Kevin Spacey, played by Kevin Spacey, speaking of satanic rituals and child sex trafficking, uh, attends a Bohemian Grove-like retreat and they actually show this massive owl and this, you know, mock child sacrifice. Again, Hollywood, art imitates life. Art imitates life. Uh, they, they like to tell you what they're doing before they do it. So that's just a few examples. Uh, I think we've seen more than enough, so we'll stop there, of um, how the stage is being set satanically. As I mentioned yesterday, uh, I had Lucas Doremus uh, on, uh, author, friend, colleague. Um, he's written a book called La, uh, Deceiving, uh, Deceiving by, I forget what the title is, but the subtitle is Power, Signs, and Lying Wonders. Uh, but I encourage you to listen to that. Really, really interesting stuff. A lot of scripture. Uh, he's a thoroughgoing biblicist, and I really appreciated having him on. Uh, a couple other quick announcements, and then I want to get to some questions here. Uh, last week, uh, on Saturday, uh, the Prophecy Watchers group aired an interview that I did with Gary Stearman. So that's out there on what in the world is going on. I encourage you to check that. That's a video you can watch. Um, then I had John Loeffler on for the second time last week. Uh, we talked about thought control and the end of free speech. Great guy. I could talk to him all day. I really appreciate his perspective and his knowledge. He, talk, he traced the history of Free, the, the attacks on free speech that led us to where we are today, where they're the cancel culture and they're literally uh, controlling what you think. Mondo Gonzalez and I talked about 2 Thessalonians 2 and the meaning of apostasia uh, and uh, the Antichrist and the end times Jewish rebellion. That was a fascinating, um, fascinating interview. That's from uh, June 15th, so again, last week. All right, so I want to be thinking of your questions. I promise to get to some of your questions, but I want to uh, get to several questions that have been in my inbox for a while. Those of you that are watching the video or watching the live stream, uh, if you've emailed me and I haven't gotten back, I'm going to try to address the answers to these questions uh, now for the remainder of our time. Uh, we've been dealing with all kinds of attacks between the flooding and then the internet being down. Uh, so I'm just way behind, but I'm, I'm going to, if you'll indulge me, try to catch up here. So Here's a question. Someone said, when you were waking up and learning not to trust the mainstream media, how long did it take you to really break free from your tendency to believe what you were hearing? And what would you say to others who are still kind of in the grips? Well, I would. my answer would be, see the podcast that I did from June 5th. That's the date. You can go to any place you listen to podcasts, search for NBW Ministries, scroll back in time to June 5th. And I did a podcast called Misinformation, Misrepresentation, and Manipulation, Exercising Discernment in the Age of Deceit. I, I talk about how to interpret the news and kind of how the mainstream media works. But the short answer is don't believe anything you hear. That's the knee-jerk reaction. Start from the premise of they're lying, and then you'll be surprised when occasionally they're not. <laughs> but uh, it's, 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 you're almost guaranteed to be right if you statistically if you assume that they're lying. Here's a question from someone named John H. Um, why does God who creates and uncreates with simply a thought, God who is love, why does he need glory or worship? 
If the reason he created us was to receive glory or worship, wouldn't that violate the idea that he is love, knowing that love thinks not for itself? Uh, well, the answer is God does not need worship. He does not need glory. He desires it. See, God created us as free moral agents, not automatons or robots that simply have no choice. And so it's not about what God needs or that somehow God is incomplete until we give him the glory that is due. It's about us expressing wise choices in our free will and choosing uh, to worship him. Here's a question from Kurt W. What are your thoughts on the King James Bible? Wow. Um, so I got a whole eight-part series on how we got our Bible that we sell at the Not That Works online store. It's a video uh, series with graphics and, and everything. Now, the short answer is I don't have a problem with the King James Bible. I'm a New King James guy myself. I've used the New King James uh, for years. Um, it's my preferred English translation. The, but the fact of the matter is the Bible wasn't written in English. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years in three different languages, uh, starting in the 1440s B.C. up through the end of the first century. started in Hebrew, the language of the Jewish people. While they were in exile in Babylon, portions of the Old Testament were written originally in Aramaic. And then, of course, the entire New Testament was written in Koine Greek, the language of the Greco-Roman Empire. So every English Bible is a translation. And uh, so you need a good translation that's going to do its best to translate formally, literally, not paraphrase and just give ideas and commentary. You want a word for word if you can get it. Uh, the New King James does that. The King James does that. But uh, with all respect to those who uh, are King James only advocates, um, you know, there are some that are King James only recognizing that you know, it's an English translation, and they, they don't claim that the, the translators that King James uh, commissioned to translate the Bible from Greek into English uh, were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They just feel like traditionally the King James has done well for 400 years. It was all we had. Um, and I respect that, and I have no problem with that. I speak in churches that use the King James, and when I speak, they ask me to use the King James, and so I do that. I make sure that my verses on the screen are King James. No problem with that. The problem that I have is with those that are King James only because they think that somehow there was a secondary inspiration that the Holy Spirit actually inspired what the King James translators put together in the early 17th century so that they what they wrote in their translations was without error. That's simply false. Uh, we, we know that Erasmus, who had five different versions, actually more than that, but the King James translation was based on his fifth version of his collection of Greek manuscripts. Some of what he included in there is not found in anywhere in the thousands of Greek manuscript fragments that we have in existence today. In other words, he made them up. And uh, so, you know, there are just limitations. In the same way that today, if we were to write a verse on a white marker board or write a verse from memory in an email and we might miss a word or forget a word, the scribes who copied from the original manuscript called the autographs sometimes made scribal errors. Today we would call that typographical errors. So the copies are not you know, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But we believe in the doctrine of preservation that somewhere within the thousands of extant manuscripts, meaning the ones that we have in existence, God has preserved the original when the quill hit the sheepskin. We know what was written. Uh, so I just, you know, because I don't speak, you know, 17th century Elizabethan English, uh, I prefer a new King James. And But I 
great respect for those who prefer the King James, but I just I think there are several reasons why I wouldn't uh, wouldn't recommend it. Here's a question from John S. He said, with H.G. Wells' background, uh, was remember he wrote several books, but one was called The New World Order. Was the War of the Worlds broadcast a preview of the Panic of the Rapture? Do Satanists like to show their hand because of their boldness? So that's actually two questions. Um, I don't know if, if the, what the you, may, you know what he's talking about here, that broadcast uh, end of the world that supposedly led to panic. Uh, of course, you know, you look at some fact checkers and they say that it really wasn't met with that much panic. But either way, I think there's a chance that that could be a glimpse of what might happen after the rapture. We've talked about that in here last week, I think, about is there going to be chaos after the rapture? I think there, there will be you know, to some extent for sure. But the bigger question that this John asks is, do Satanists like to show their hand because of their boldness? And absolutely they do. I've talked about that at length. I give several examples in my books, uh, Spirit of the Antichrist books. It's called the, the Satanic Credo. Sometimes you'll hear it referred to as the Karmic Credo. But they believe that they have to disclose secretly, usually in hidden language, what they're doing and planning so that after, this is my view, people don't really know why they do that. They speculate on it. My view is they do it so that after it happens, the Satanists themselves that are pulling the strings of world power can sit back in dark smoke-filled rooms watching things unfold and laugh at us saying, well, see, we told you. See, we told you. But it's usually so cryptic. It's hidden in Hollywood movies or main television shows and things like that. And you don't ever notice it till after uh, the fact. And uh, so, but I, yeah, absolutely, they do try to tell you what they're going to do ahead of time. Um, if you want to read a fascinating story in my book, I give one that just blows me away every time I think about it, but the, 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 the truth behind the Oklahoma City bombings in 1995. I think it was 95, 94, 95. Anyway, whenever it was, I give the whole story in there, but that was you know, telegraphed in a novel ahead of time by none other than the, uh, Frank Keating, the governor of Oklahoma at the time, who was a former FBI agent who was, put in, who was installed as the governor during, right, after, right before this happened. Anyway, his brother wrote a novel that was you know, being published six months before this happened. And the novel, get, guess what the premise of the novel was? It was about a homegrown white supremacist domestic terrorist you know, who attacks a federal building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, by the name of Thomas McVeigh, <laughs> who is caught by coincidence when an Oklahoma State trooper pulls him over because he has a taillight out. Now, if you're not familiar with the Oklahoma City bombing, that's the exact narrative that happened six months later, except it was Timothy McVeigh, not Thomas McVeigh. I mean, you can't make this stuff up, right? So uh, number six here from uh, A. Dutton is their name. I have six grandchildren in their 20s. How do we steer them into more stable careers due to the uh, AI threat? We've talked a lot about how AI is eliminating jobs. Um, my technology friend and expert Shane's going to be back on later this week. Last time he was on, he talked a lot about how many jobs are going away. Well, you know, who's to say? I mean, we, we may not even be here long enough for these people in their 20s to have long, prolific careers in any field, frankly. If, uh, if, if, if my gut's right on how soon the rapture is going to happen. But in the meantime, I would just, uh, I think you, you, it's worthy of some investigation and some real serious thought about what are some uh, jobs that transcend 
artificial intelligence. I don't really have, uh, you know, a, a foolproof answer for that one. Um, let's see. This person says, um, oh, yeah, this is talking about digital currency. This is from Catherine in Canada. I don't understand how we can live differently in spite of this. If technology uh, of cell phones and laptops are needed for school and work and communication and everyday life, um, if paychecks are automatically deposited in the banks, bills are paid online, uh, shouldn't we just live today with what we're given and, and then focus on our relationship with the Lord? And then if tomorrow all these accounts are frozen or drained or shut down, then we'll take, take it at that time. Well, obviously, we definitely want to trust the Lord in everything that we do, and I've talked a lot about that. Um, our uh, preparedness document addresses some of these things. By the way, that's available f for free right on the Not By Works homepage. Just click under Resources. We put a new link there so it's easier to find. It says uh, Preparedness Guide. It's a PDF. You can download it. Uh, but I do think, uh, you know, you have to live today eyes wide open. I don't think you know, you necessarily have to today pull all your money out of banks and investment funds and, you know, move to a mountaintop and live on a bartering system with a commune. I think you, you do have to be wise, though, and recognize that's where we're headed. And if the Lord doesn't come back soon, you know, you have to be prepared to lose whatever you've got in, you know, banks. And then, you know, if you can't see it, you can't, if you can't hold it, you, you don't own it. Uh, so I think it's a kind of a both and. Um, you know, we do tend to think in extremes. People hear some of the stuff that we've talked about, some of the stuff I write about, and they they panic and they say, "Oh, we just gotta, you know, get rid of everything." I I don't think that's practical, and I don't think it's necessary. I think you just have to be wise. Uh, being wise and understanding what's coming will put you way ahead of the populace when when the shoe the other shoe does drop, because you'll already have a framework and you you won't be shell shocked. You'll be able to begin immediately to take steps. Um, here's one from Jen L. Since sometime soon they want to rewrite the Bible and the Internet Bibles will become false, what is the best and easiest commentary and lexicon to get in hard copy? Okay, this is a great question. So, um, yes, the Mandela effect is real, and they are, you know, rewriting history. This is straight out of Orwell's 1984 they're scrubbing the internet, and at some point, if all you rely on is digital copies of books, you're going to not really know whether they've altered it. We, we saw in the news just a couple weeks ago how AI is going to rewrite the Bible and the Koran and all the religious books and make them better, they said. So I would absolutely have a print Bible in our uh, preparedness uh, stash. We have a, a New King James Bible and a couple of other Bible handbooks and physical things so that if we had to flee, we'd at least have a Bible if you can't get to it on your phone. Now, I'm a big believer in digital technology. I've used digital software for my own research since 1999. And so I, I, I think I've commented before, I sometimes have trouble even turning the pages in my Bible because I just, you know, it's so much easier for me to go and I can bring up verses, have multiple verses, you know, on two screens in my office and I'm copying and pasting and looking at commentaries. I have 7,000 volume library digitally on my computer. Uh, so I'm, I'm not discounting digital technology, but we do need to prepare for the day when that's not accessible. And so it's a good idea. So I would say have a good New King James Bible or New American Standard or uh, something like that. And then a good, the best study Bible on the market is called the New King James Version, the NKJV Study Bible. It was originally called 
the Nelson Study Bible, and then it was changed to something else. But anyway, it, the general editor is Earl Rodmacher. I was a friend of his. He wrote the foreword to my first ever book uh, many years ago. Uh, he's with the Lord now. But all of the Old and New Testament scholars that provide the study notes are solid, dispensational, premillennial guys. Excellent, excellent study Bible. Um, here's a question from Lori. My question has to do with my mentioning of hitchhiking demons. Can you explain more to me about that? So when we were talking about the role of evil spirits and, 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 and demons, we talked about the hitchhiker effect, which is uh, anecdotal. We don't have a chapter and verse in the Bible that we can point to, but it seems that when people encounter evil spirits, often they can, even if they leave the, that house or that wherever they were at the time and go across the country, even across the world, it seems like that evil spirit or spirits tends to follow them. They call that the hitchhiker effect. Uh, now, the secular world that studies the paranormal suggests that somehow these paranormal spirits, they don't think in the terms of God and Satan and the biblical worldview. They think these paranormal spirits somehow attach to you or to items or like a, a knick-knack or you know, a piece of furniture or something. Uh, I don't know that we can say that, but there clearly does seem to be a correlation between being in, in the presence of some type of evil activity in the unseen realm and then it kind of tracking with you and following with you. That's what we mean by the hitchhiker effect. And if you feel like that's happening, you need to do the things we talked about in a previous prophecy night. Quote scripture, name the name of Jesus, uh, remind Satan that he's a loser, and he may not be in the room, but you can tell the evil spirits that are in the room, hey, go tell your boss he's a big fat loser and he's, he's already defeated. And Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. And as we read earlier from Luke chapter 12, the battle's won. So you quote scripture. That's what Jesus did. Uh, from Dave S., is there a way to get copies of... Okay, so he's asking about um, Charlotte Iserby's book, Deliberate Dumbing Down of America. I talked about that in an interview with John Loeffler. Um, he says he couldn't find it. Uh, last time I checked, if you just go to deliberatedumbingdownofamerica.com or Google it or search engine it, maybe, Wendy, can you be looking that up while I'm... I'm pretty sure that's the website, and it's a PDF that you can download right from her. It's a massive thing. You can get it. This questioner, Dave S., says, I found it on Amazon for $42. Yeah, there's a lot of people that will be out there selling it. Uh, I have a print copy of it. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's public domain and you can you can find it. Um, then it says, is there, he also asks, same questioner, is there a way to get copies of your podcast on CD? Uh, no. Um, nor VHS, nor Betamax. Um, uh, I mean, these, I don't mean to be snide, but honestly, we just don't have the time and the technology. I don't have a CD drive. My external CD drive, when I got this latest computer, it won't even recognize it. So you just, you don't make CDs anymore. You can go to any podcast provider where all of my podcasts are, over 500 of them now, just from the last few years, uh, and download them. And then you'll have an MP3, and with that, you can put it on a thumb drive. If you have a computer that still has a CD drive, I'm sure you can burn it to a CD. Uh, there are ways to do it, but we don't have any way uh, to do that. Uh, and we just don't have the manpower to do it. Uh, okay, where's Jim? Here we go. We finally got there. 
Um, I think this is you. Jim S. Yeah, I don't remember what I asked. Okay. <laughs> See, I could skip it and, and, and yeah. you wouldn't. I, I honestly thought you answered it with the first one. It might be the same thing. Yeah, it is a similar question now that I look at it. Um, oh, you know what? It was that one. Yeah. I had it in here twice. Honestly, I just. that was the following day's podcast, and I did hear it. Did you? Okay, good. So good. All is well. But I thought when I was answering that one, I thought I remembered writing a couple of notes to myself to remember to say that sounded familiar. It's because I had duplicated the question. But anyway, bottom line, trust nothing, trust no one, assume they're lying. Um, so, so, yeah, you can get it. And what's the website, Wendy? DeliberateDumbingDownOfAmerica.com? Yeah, I can't see the URL. It just sent me a picture of the book. And, I mean, if I click on it, uh, see if I can. If you follow down through the yeah, yeah, so I can't. It truncates the URL, but it looks like it's deliberate dumbing down. Dot com. .com. Okay. Yeah, so go to deliberate. For those of you that were wanting that, uh, book by Charlotte Isabel, go to DeliberateDumbingDown.com and you'll find it right there. Okay, um, this is from Randy O. On a number of podcasts there have been comments about Biden's mental state or lack thereof. What if he is actually putting on a show for everybody to believe that it, so they believe he has a lower mental capacity? That way he can't assist with his own defense if any criminal charges come out of his corruption. Okay. Uh, I mean, fair question. Uh, no, I don't think it's fake. Uh, first of all, there's no way Biden, Obama, Hillary, any of them are ever going to be arrested. Just quit believing in the white hats and the Calvary to come in. and you know, That's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. They've committed so many crimes, murders, and so forth, so far. If it was going to happen, it would have already happened. They control the justice system. The only way it will happen is if they you know, hack off some of their other Luciferian friends, and then as the, in a revenge way, they bring them down like they've done others, like Denny Hastert and other famous uh, former Speaker of the House and others, that, you know, they, they have a file on you, and if they want to bring you down, they'll bring you down. But it won't be the White Hats. It won't be the good guys. It won't be the criminal justice system that finally catches up with them and they get what they deserve. That's not going to happen. And, you know, I just don't think Biden's faking it. Uh, that's, that's my view. I don't know. These are just my opinions, obviously. Um, same questioner uh, asked, and this is a, a good comment, about how the Department of Homeland Security just put out an alert that between now and the election to be on the lookout for Christians and conspiracy theorists and churches and, you know, people that are promoting, you know, truth, what we would say truth. Um, uh, could that just be... Uh, kind of telegraphing what they're going to do. I'm paraphrasing the question. Uh, and he points out that in the past, when they put out these alerts, they put out this long window, like this one, between now and the 24 election, but actually things happen a lot sooner. I absolutely think that could be what's going on there. Um, and then last one that I have here, and thank you for letting me catch up on these. Hopefully these are benefiting you as well. From Shimon J., I am desiring to undertake a study of dispensationalism. May I ask for your recommendation on which books address the topic most biblically, doctrinally, and fundamentally? Hands down, the best book on the market, Dispensationalism by Charles Ryrie. 
uh, friend and mentor. He's with the Lord now. Uh, he originally wrote that back in the 60s called Dispensationalism Today. It's been republished many times now. It's just called Dispensationalism. Excellent resource. It's not that hard of a read. It's only about that thick, but it gives you an overview of what we mean by that. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Dispensationalism, Dispensation is a biblical term. comes straight out of Scripture. It's the Greek word oikonomos. It's translated Dispensation in Ephesians 3 and elsewhere. Uh, it just means uh, that we believe the Bible is to be understood progressively with older revelation coming first that God unveiled himself over 1500 years through the written word and later revelation cannot come along and change earlier revelation uh, that God over time has kind of laid out his plan of the ages which includes a distinction between Israel and the church God's plan for Israel still has a future culmination God's plan for the church was a mystery we have a purpose to serve um, it involves a literal, grammatical, historical understanding of Scripture, basically. But that's the book that I would recommend for that. Okay, we've got uh, about 10 minutes left. Uh, any questions from you guys here in the room? And we'll uh, try to uh, pick those up for those that are uh, listening. Anybody with a question or comment about anything prophetic? Yes, you mind being my runner again? You're so good at it. See, you need to do a bad job, then we won't pick on you every time. <coughs> yeah, no, no more questions about Big Mike. All right, here you go. On your uh, podcast with Randy last week, you mentioned that uh, he was talking about phones being cloned and how he had just seen three in one week. And is there any kind of case that you can put a phone in to keep that from happening? Yeah, I'm sure you can use a Faraday case, and they make little pliable. Um, almost look like tin foil type cases that you can put your phone in. Um, but uh, yeah, that would be that would be what I would try if you're concerned about that. And, and we should be. I mean, it's, it's always an issue. So somebody else. So now I lost it. You mentioned the two books the Franklin scan Franklin scandal and Franklin cover-up who's Franklin <laughs> so yeah as I mentioned it's it gets its name from an investigation that they were doing in Lincoln Nebraska of the Franklin savings and loan but as they followed the money and dug deeper they uncovered this sordid tale of child sex abuse and, ch and sex trafficking rings and so it's called the Franklin cover-up because they they tried to cover up the whole scandal lest it bring people down. Yeah. Which it brought it never brought anybody down, but it sure cost people their lives for sure. Anybody else? So this uh, is just a general question about um, like who makes it into the rapture and who so for example, if you have um, somebody who is uh, believes the gospel, prays, is an active Christian just in their own spiritual realm, but their attitude towards the rapture is kind of blow it off and, oh, you know, for 2,000 years, every generation has thought they're going to be raptured. What's different now? So if they have kind of a, a mocking or scoffing or dismissive attitude towards the rapture, but they are they are Bible-believing Christians. Um, will they still be raptured? Absolutely, like, yeah. There's only one criteria oh. to be raptured, and that is, are you a Christian? Yeah. 
So, and there's only one way to be a Christian, by grace through faith. So every person who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again for their sins, is born again. And if you're listening and you've never done that, today's the day to do that, because that's the only thing that's going to allow you to be made right with the Holy God and uh, go to heaven when you die or at the rapture. So Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4 that there's only two camps of you know Christians, those who've died and those that are still alive. But all Christians... All Christians, whether they've already died, in which case the dead in Christ will rise first. The key phrase there is in Christ. Uh, and then those who are left alive and remain will be caught up. That's where the word rapture comes from, harpazo. So all believers will be raptured, uh, even people that don't believe in the rapture. That's the ironic thing. No, no, there is no prerequisite. It's, it's believers. So, uh, and as Andy Wood says, you know, if you don't believe in the rapture, well, I'll explain it to you on the way up, you know. So, you don't, fortunately, and you don't even have to be faithful until the end, you know. I mean, that's the goal, and, and believers are called to persevere and called to be faithful. But sadly, as Paul talks about, there are many examples uh, of believers that cast away their faith, or the writer of Hebrews uses that phrase. So, uh, you know, once you're saved, you're always saved. If you're a Christian today, you'll be a Christian tomorrow. That's always true. And so the, the rapture catches up all believers of the present church age. Uh, if, you, if I put up my uh, chart here, um, you know, when the church age ends, everyone that's a believer at that rapture is going to be caught up, even if they're not looking for it. Okay, so. Or even don't believe in it. Yeah, that's right. Somebody else. This slide reminded me of something. Could you give a rundown of the 75 days? Yeah, so Daniel 12 uh, talks about 35 days and 40, or 45 days and 30 days, which is a combined 75. It does not tell us what those are for. Uh, most commentators speculate that it's to clean up after the Battle of Armageddon. You know, with blood in the streets as high as a horse's bridle and all of that, it's going to be quite a mess. And to kind of get ready for the kickoff party. Remember, the, the millennium, which is the first thousand years of the kingdom that you see on the screen there, begins with the great banqueting supper, the great the, the, the messianic banquet. And, uh, and so to get ready for that kickoff party, maybe there's a bunch of cleanup that has to happen. But uh, Daniel definitely specifies a total of 75 days between the Christ's return and the official start of the kingdom. Good question. Anybody else? Yes, okay. Um, back to the, the Christians that are saved at the rapture. We have um, family members who are Catholic and Mormon. Um, Mormons call themselves Christians. And I'm just curious, should we be ministering to them? What do you think about them for the being saved? So the question about Catholics and Mormons. So here's the thing. If... At any point in time, a person does what the New Testament says 160 times, so it couldn't be more clear, is what must be done to be saved. If they do that, they're saved. Uh, that is, uh, believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, it's not just believing that he exists. You know, you have to believe certain things about him. 
that he, namely that he's God in the flesh, that he paid your personal price on the cross, that you're a sinner. You have to believe you're a sinner. If you don't think you're a sinner, you don't need to have anything to be saved from. So I talk about all this in my book, Getting the Gospel Wrong. It's pretty simple. You know, it's so simple a child can understand it. I'm a sinner. My sin consigns me to hell. The only one with the power to forgive my sin and give me new life in Christ is Christ himself. And if I place my faith in him and him alone, not him and the Book of Mormon, not him and Allah or Muhammad or my own good works or my baptism or my religion or my church, but just solely in Jesus Christ as the only one who can save me. At that instant, Jesus said, you pass from death to life and shall never come into judgment. So that's the only criteria for getting into heaven or being caught up at the rapture. Now, after that, there are any number of things happen in a people's journey. They can be led astray by a false teacher. They can be caught up in a movement. They can be deceived. You know, Paul talks about, we read that at the outset today, but false teachers in the end times. They can become convinced uh, after they've already believed the gospel. They can become convinced that, no, they've got to do good works to be saved. Uh, they can even stop believing. You know, the Bible doesn't say you believe the gospel, and as long as you keep on believing it till you die, you're in. In fact, Jesus said just the opposite. I give you right now at the moment of faith eternal life, and you shall never perish. He didn't say I give you the possibility of eternal life or the prospect or the potential. Eternal life is a present possession that everyone gets the moment they believe the gospel. So you can't change it. If you're a Christian today, you'll be a Christian tomorrow. But even if subsequent to that, you stop believing. You turn your back on God. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.12, even if we are faithless, meaning we have no faith at all, God remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. That's what the text says, 2 Timothy 2.12. You're a child of God. So like in the, in the earthly realm, even if one of my children were to disown me, I don't want to be a Hickson anymore. I'm changing my name. I hate you. I don't like you. A simple DNA test will prove that that's my child. Spiritually speaking, when you believe the gospel, your DNA changes and it can never be changed again. You're a child of God. John 1.12 says, To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the child of God. So if you're asking, is it possible for someone to become a Christian and subsequently convert to Catholicism or Mormonism and still be a Christian? That's possible. I mean, it's a pretty serious thing. It's a serious departure from orthodoxy and from the faith. They're clearly deceived. They've clearly been wrapped up in false teaching. But at the end of the day, how different is it really than the Judaizers of the first century who believed the gospel and then yet were taught because of these Judaizers that they have to be circumcised to be saved? Now, they were believing that you had to do a good work to get into heaven, but they had already been saved. So you can, subsequent to getting saved, you can, you know, hypothetically believe a false doctrine. Now don't, you know, don't think, and don't email me people that are watching this. I'm not sitting here saying every Mormon and every Catholic is a Christian. I would say 99% of them aren't. But it is, is it theologically possible? Yeah, because the Bible never conditions eternal life upon anything but believing in Jesus Christ who died and rose again for your sins. And once you do that, it changes instantly. And later on, if you fall prey to false teaching, you know, uh, it, thankfully it doesn't undo what Jesus did. Like we talked about in 1 Thessalonians 4, those that are in Christ, that's a distinctive New Testament term, meaning you've trusted in Christ and therefore you are in Christ. And nothing 
Romans 8 says, can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So uh, I don't know their heart. Only God knows their heart. Um, I would assume if they're practicing Catholics and practicing Mormons that they're not saved. I would, that would be my working assumption. And I would share the gospel with them. Let the gospel do its work. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes it. And if they are, if they do happen to be saved, maybe the Spirit of God will convict them of the error of their way, and they'll, you know, come back into the sound doctrine. But, uh, you know, that that would be my answer. Does that help at all? Okay. Yes, we got time for one more. Maybe two more. One here and one here, just for you. On the person that was asking about uh, what sort of advice about a job that the AIs couldn't take over. Consider the trades yeah. or a skilled, like a pipe fitter, plumbers, sure. electricians, something yeah, that you can suggestion. do yourself. Yeah. Right. Great question. All right. A great comment. Uh, last question right up here. You've actually probably already answered this twice, but I'm coming from a different angle. <laughs> Well, apparently I didn't answer it well enough, so I'll try again. <laughs> Third time's a charm. <laughs> what about a child conversion and living like living for the Lord into the 20s and then totally abandons it? Yeah. Does God require an adult understanding of what they're doing if they – very truly from the heart, I was there, I saw it. But it didn't get much further than probably an older teenager. Yeah, so I have talked about this at length. So, again, uh, the reason that it's so much easier for children to get saved is because they understand faith. They, they, they have to trust for everything they have in life, their food, their shelter, their clothing. So when you come along and you explain to a child that they're a sinner and they're on the road to hell and if they don't, trust in Jesus, they're going to spend eternity in hell, they go, oh, I, I know what that means. I'm going to trust in Jesus. I'm going to believe in him to give me eternal life. And they're saved in that instant. Now, the, the Christian history is replete with examples of Christians who abandon the faith. I mean, that's sad, but true. Um, you know, Satan's two goals in life are to keep the lost lost and the saved defeated. So, of course, he attacks Christians and, you know, causes them to be tempted and led astray and false teachers. And that's getting worse and worse the closer we get to the return of Christ. So, you know, unfortunately, because of Calvinist influence, people suggest that if you're really a Christian, you'll never sin a whole lot. You'll never do anything really bad. You'll never, you'll certainly never depart from the faith. And if you do, that means you never were a Christian to begin with. Well, that's just false teaching, plain and simple. There's no other word for it. And I've written and talked about this extensively. Uh, we did a whole series on what is Calvinism and is it biblical. Um, our eternal destiny is not contingent upon our ability to continue to live for Christ our whole life. That's all about sanctification. There are special rewards for those who follow the Lord faithfully throughout their Christian life. And there's a loss of rewards and consequences for those who don't. You lose blessings. You may die an early death. You know, sin is an equal opportunity killer. Christians who decide to push the Lord out of their life and live like the devil, they're playing with fire. They may end up dying. Now they'll go to heaven, but they're going to die. So, unfortunately, you just can't look at a person's life and decide hastily 
whether they're a Christian or not. Because there's no sin that an unbeliever can commit that a Christian might not also commit if he's living in the flesh. So, yeah, uh, you, my heart goes out to parents who have children who trusted Christ as a youngster, and then in their journey they get away from the Lord. Um, you know, uh, that doesn't mean they're not saved. Uh, that, that's my answer. Okay, well, thank you guys. Remember, next week I'm going to try to coax my parents into doing a kind of a Q&A and just sort of a conversation. And just, uh, I think you'll enjoy meeting them. Um, my dad, uh, you know, just is just a great man of God, funny, and uh, I think you'll enjoy listening to him. So anyway, come back next Tuesday. We'll, we'll have my folks uh, mic'd up. Uh, they don't know this yet. They'll probably find out when they listen to this. But... Uh, Anyway, uh, you know, they're not going to be around much longer. I mean, 81 and almost, you know, I guess 79 and 81, something like that. So if the Lord doesn't come back soon, then this would be a good record of just a, a special time and conversation. So, all right, awesome. Well, you guys have a great uh, rest of the week, and we'll see you Sunday.